standing up in McKinney. This is, according to Callus, episode 530, coming to you on the 15th of November. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, halfway done with November. The year of our Lord, 2023. Yes, hat tip to the Hagman Show. All right, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, that's a good question. Now, normally I have the benefit of driving around for the day and kind of thinking about stuff while I'm doing my job. Uh, Sometimes I have the uh, other podcasts that I enjoy listening to in the background uh, giving me ideas of things that I would like to talk about or expand upon or uh, differ, if you will. But the... The overwhelming thought that I've had for the last uh, little bit here is wanting more. Now, not necessarily wanting more as in greed, but wanting more as in the expectation that there should be something other than what there is. And that leads to a certain amount of frustration, if you will. But we're going to explore that just a little bit here. But before we do that, let me remind you the best way you can help me make a difference. The best way we can continue to grow the show is to like, share, and subscribe to this program. Remembering that I am over at the social media. I've got a page and a group at Facebook. I visit over at Gab and MeWe. And oh, by the way, my show, as far as I know, is still showing up over at YouTube under According to Callus. And they post the audio there. So if you do me a solid, like, share, subscribe to any or all of those. And if you're feeling particularly froggy today, please go rate and review this program. That helps. We are fighting the algorithms, as you may know. Strangely enough, I'll have several episodes in a row that are 700 plus downloads. And then, boom. (laughs) It's like you hit a brick wall. There's 100 or 150 or worse, 50. And then the next day, it's like nothing ever happened. So the only thing I can figure is they must do keyword searches or something that targets specific episodes that don't get shared. Still babying my voice here. Apologize. Okay. So things that I would like more of, I want more of. Let's start with this. We hear all the time about democracy. Now, I'm not going to wade into the uh, argument of democracy versus republic and what the differences are. Uh, the, the language is used and abused all the time. Uh, if we believe we're a democratic republic or a democratically, a democratically elected republic, great, fine, uh, good enough for the purposes of this discussion. But... The problem is, is when you edit out certain things that you're not allowed to talk about, certain topics are off limits, certain ideas are to be suppressed, and you're not allowed to even look into certain things. Now, look, there are plenty of bad things out there that I would never, ever suggest are a good thing that I would never, ever advocate for, but That being said, I don't see what the harm is on having bad ideas present. Now, let's pause for just a second. I'm not talking about having a bunch of perverts read books in front of impressionable young children. 
I'm not talking about having descriptive language of how you disembowel a body available to sixth graders. Those are not good ideas. Those are bad ideas. They are children. We're supposed to protect them. What I am talking about is adults, or for the purposes of this argument, near adults, not being permitted to understand and to digest certain ideas or policies or thoughts and Honestly, they need to see both sides. They need to be able to articulate both sides of that argument and come to the conclusion on their own. For the most part, communism has been completely discredited, except for those people that don't understand it or haven't actually learned about what the outcome of it was. The same could be said of Marxism, fascism, certain forms of communitarianism. All these different isms have been shown to be a negative blight on society. Does that mean that they couldn't maybe sort of kind of work? Yeah, for a short time, maybe. It reminds me of the idea, there used to be communes back when I was a wee little boy. Back in the mid-70s, the hippie communes were a thing, just like the kibitzes were for our Jewish friends, particularly over in Israel. The communal living and, and it works as long as the people there actually want to be there and they want to be around the people they're there with and they're willing to make those sacrifices. But what happens when somebody says, no, I don't want to do this anymore or enough people get there and they want to reorg the situation? How do you deal with that? Are you willing to consider that maybe there are different options or different ideas or maybe we just scrap the whole thing and said that it just doesn't work anymore? The idea that we wrote a constitution that had a certain set of ground rules that were put down for ever and ever was both true and false. Let me explain. It was written with the understanding that over time it would need to adapt to what society went by. Excuse me here. Call it modernization. Call it evolving call it uh, migration of thought, however you want to define it. But it was not supposed to be driven by the whims of society. It wasn't supposed to be done lightly. It was supposed to be a long thought out process and uh, changing or improving, if you will, government. And then the courts got involved. And then different civil actions took place that altered the makeup. And then, God forbid, some people wanted to do something differently and we prevented them from doing it and then we punished them for doing it. And then we made them accept certain changes even though they didn't want it in the first place, which is in part why they left or tried to leave in the first place. Stop me if this sounds familiar. What I'm suggesting to you is that... Many times, what we want, what we want more of is to just be left alone, to be able to do things the way we see fit, to live a life that we find pleasing or mutually agreeable to those around us. The problem is those people are always trampled. Those people always lose. When you look at a group like the Amish, now, look, I don't agree with their theology 100%. I, I have no qualms with any of them. This is not supposed to be me dunking on them or abusing them. Far from it. 
As a matter of fact, I have a certain amount, well, actually I have a lot of respect for people to choose to live that way. They choose to opt out. But the fact of the matter is they couldn't exist outside of a Western society. They wouldn't exist outside of this civilization, much less the concept of Christianity as we know it for the last couple of centuries, at least, they would have been wiped out. You can peacefully sit out, you can abhor violence, you you can be a pacifist, you can do all those things, and perhaps righteously so, but in the end you lose. Because all it takes is a small group of people to come in that want it more than you and are willing to use force, and they win. It reminds me of a, I guess, a historical outcome. The Mongols who, and of course, if I, if I get the exact details wrong here, it's certainly not on purpose and certainly not being bent to prove my point. But it, basic understanding is at some point in time, a good number of the Mongols converted to Islam. Now, maybe they did it to keep their concubines and wives happy. Maybe they were just impressed with the way these people lived. Nevertheless, they were conquered peoples. They were people that were destroyed by the Mongols. And when they came in, they converted for various reasons. But the the pious people, if you will, the, the ones that refused to take up arms were wiped out. And this played out again. If you look at the Middle East, at one point it was, almost entirely Christian. I mean, there was obviously some pagan stuff left over. There was obviously the Judaism was still present, but it was, it was basically a Christian area there uh, until Islam came in. Now, maybe they fought, maybe they didn't fight, but Islam fought harder, fought longer. You can't survive in a society that puts a high value on conquest. If you are a pacifist, you have to want more. You, ha- you have to be willing to defend yourself, to defend others. Now, it's, it's, it's nice to askew those things. It's, it's nice to put a lesser value on money or a lesser value on things. But if you're not going to put a value on preserving your life, if you're not going to want to protect yourself, if you're not going to want more life... There's not much left. Well, we're talking about it. This goes into the concept of freedom and liberty, right? Freedom being I'm able to do whatever I want. Liberty being I'm able to do what I want, but I also recognize there are certain responsibilities inherent with the freedom to do certain things that I want. You know, J.C. Hall's talked about this. That'd be Chris Ann Hall's husband. The idea that you have to Maintain a certain amount of control when you're living under a liberty mindset that you might not feel obligated to do under a freedom mindset. The freedom mindset being I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, regardless of consequences. Whereas a liberty mindset says, yeah, there's got to be some limitations on there. I've got I've to realize that there's consequences and reactions to my actions. If you keep that in mind you're not going to ignore what's going on around you. You're not going to blow off and not pay attention to what bad actors are wanting to do. You are going to jealously guard what you have. 
And not because you're wanting more of what your neighbor has, but you're wanting more time. You're wanting more family or whatever it is, but you want to protect it. It's worth your effort. What it really comes down to is a choice. And you have that choice, but you have to be willing to exercise that choice. If you refuse to exercise that choice, you've given it up. The idea or the adage, if you will, to not make a choice is to make a choice. To not speak is to speak. Well, yeah, that's true to an extent, but there are people that legitimately don't know. For whatever reason, they don't have an opinion or they or they don't know what they think. It's our job to make sure they know. It's our, it's our job to bring them up to speed. It's our job to show them what's at stake. We need to be willing to do that. We need to know how to do that. So let me ask you, how are you doing it? What are you doing it? How do you design... How do you think about what it is you want to do and how do you want to do it, right? This is the underlying thing. I've talked about this from time to time. There's a certain part of me that would like to just walk away. You know, the the whole Gen Gen X mantra, let it all burn. I'm not going to do that, but just go with me for a second here. There's a certain underlying attitude from Gen X that, you know, things are great. Now they're not. Some of it's beyond our control, quite frankly, at this point. Um, it's it's convenient to blame the boomers. It, it's irritating to listen to the millennials whine about it. But the ones that are going to get stuck holding the bag, by and large, are Gen X. And as we ascend into spheres of authority and responsibility, you know, we're in our 50s and we're looking at how are these things going to work out, we come to the conclusion that they've, we've been spent into oblivion. We're stretched beyond everybody's means. How do we ever recover from this? The only redeeming note about this is so is everybody else in the world. So while I not, might not be enthusiastic about the money, the wealth, the power that China has, they've also put themselves on a express train to I don't know, population decline maybe would be the best way to put it. And, and India's better off, but not really. I, I I don't understand why we in the United States are so fixated at what other countries are doing and we need to take all this time and effort and go meddle in what they're doing when we have plenty of our own problems, plenty of our own things that we could be investing in or fixing. Yesterday, I, I mentioned the the issues with the homeless, right? Particularly out in California. And it's, it's convenient to poke fun at California. And, and to be honest, they did create a lot of their own mess. But we've piled on. So are we really good neighbors? Are, are we really good friends within the union? I ask you, would you kick your friend when he's down? Would you would you heap abuse on a family member that was having a rough time? Uh, I mean, even if it's that you know uncle that's drunken and likes to gamble, would you go 
make his life worse? I don't know. I, I just don't see the wisdom there. We've got to want more. But the question is, is more what and how, right? Now, for instance, I would like more time. I would like more liberty. I would like more opportunities. Now, how do you make that happen? What's that really at play? What's the underlying desire there? When we get down to it, you just want to be left alone and be able to do what it is that you prefer to do. I really think that's what the underlying urge for everybody is to some extent. For instance, would you not be content on if you had the exact house that you wanted, in the exact location that you wanted, and you had really no other cares that needed to be met because they were already met? Well, sure, you'd be content. You might be bored out of your mind, but you'd be content. So some of obtaining that or some of the challenges of getting that is part of the process. It's part of what makes us us, putting in the effort, working towards a goal. That's part of the human trait. That's part of what we want, part of what we desire. It's the innate built-in desire for wanting more. And I know I've brought this up before, the idea that, you know, they once asked Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? And his answer is just a little more. Now, at the time, they were dealing with potentially the richest guy in all of history or the wealthiest man in all of history, depending on how you want to phrase it or think about it. And certainly there's other people that would be in contention for that title. But the reality is, it's a passing, a time period. It doesn't last forever. We don't last forever. Perhaps they build a monument to you and then 150 years later, they decide you're anathema and they need to tear it down and melt it down and put it on the scrap heap of history and blot your name out because in the 150 years since you lived, the world changed. You went from being a hero to a zero. It doesn't matter that you're an honorable person, that you did the right thing as you understood it, that you protected others, that you defended your homeland. No, you had an unpardonable thought. You you took part in an unpardonable action or behavior. Now, to be honest, I understand the condemnation that follows some of the actions of our forefathers and the things they did or didn't do. But that doesn't mean you erase them from history. It doesn't mean that they never existed. It doesn't mean, no, that's a benchmark in history. You need to understand what it was because if you want to do better, you have to understand where you started. If you want more, you have to understand where you came from. If you want to make a difference or improve something, you have to understand where it was before. The The concept of day zero, if you don't know what that means, go look it up. I'll wait. Come on back. Okay, day zero. This is nothing new. The problem is there's really nothing new under the sun. The Soviets tried it. The French revolutionists tried it uh, in reverse order, I guess. The, the Chinese revolutionaries tried it. The Khmer Rouge tried it. They, they want to expunge history and start over. Pretend nothing was there before they got there. Well, that's very foolish. 
That's a problem. Again, there was an obscure passage in the Bible that was once used as the premise for a blessing prayer. Now, I'm not saying that's bad or good or anything otherwise, but the idea was to expand my fields, my fences, right? He, he wants more. He wants to be blessed. And to an extent, everybody wants that. The world's finite and only so many people can be blessed and so much. But let me ask you, you do understand that even at the end of your fields and you put your fences in, the fences are there for a purpose. So there's a corollary. I have this great big field, but I still have a fence there. I have a limit. I have a place I need to stop. And 20 years from now or 200 years from now, that fence might still be there protecting a property line and it served a purpose in the past. Maybe you were hurting or maybe you you know, were protecting it from roving animals. Who knows? But at some point in the future, they go and pull those up. They, they remove the fence because it's no longer necessary. No purpose served any longer. But what if it does? What if the very purpose that it served once it's gone uh, shows itself to be a problem? And I know it sounds kind of strange, but see, I, I grew I grew up uh, basically in Milwaukee. Now, Milwaukee was a metropolitan city, not huge, but certainly not a uh, one-horse town, if you will. We had a lot more than one stoplight, if you will. But when I was a kid, there were really no wildlife sightings, if you will. Now, occasionally you might see a deer over on the west side where the parks were at, but there were no foxes, there were no wolves. You'd see your raccoons because there's trash. Uh, You'd see the squirrels. But as a kid in the 70s, you might see a a stray dog or a stray cat. You saw the birds, but there was really no wildlife per se, other than the little furry ones that get eaten, right? (laughs) But here... They changed some things. Things have altered in the last 30, 40 years. And they're starting to see foxes. They're starting to see wolves, coyotes coming back in the town. Now, you can draw the conclusion it's because the population continued to spread out and displace them from the surrounding countryside. And I would be willing to accept that if these sightings were on the edge of town. But no, these are towards the middle or towards the part of town that's been inhabited for decades, if not a century. How does that happen? I would suggest to you it's because that area is not being used or it's not being used like it was originally designed and it's not being protected. It's not being fenced off. It's not, it's not being valued. The people no longer wanted it for whatever reason and now it's reverting. They're not protecting it. So I don't know if it's that it no longer has a value or if it's just that nobody thought about it, but there is something else it could be. And honestly, being that it's my home state, I'm a little familiar with how things work there. Not so much anymore, but once upon a time, it could be that somebody else made the decision that having potentially dangerous wildlife in inhabited parts of the city was more important than protecting young children or pets. It could be that they removed the barriers and they restricted the ability to hunt them or dispose of them so that they returned and to a degree returned with a vengeance. Now, I haven't looked into this seriously in the last four or five years, so 
They may have chosen to go back and redeal with it. It could be much worse. I don't know. It's not really relevant in the purpose that it's not a pure example. It's just a reference point. If you value something, but then the values change, you have to understand that it's going to revert back to what, because there's no longer any value. So you have to determine if you want more, are you going to give something up that you already had? Or do you want to maintain what you had and get more? Can you take care of all that? Does it all matter? I don't have those answers. When, when we demand, when we push, when, when we tell people that we just want to be left alone, we want to be left to our own devices, I truly think it has less the less to do with the fact that we don't want anyone else around us. It's that they don't want anybody pushing them around. They won't, don't want anybody else telling them how to live. They don't want to be micromanaged. That's what I believe it is. But being that you don't really have an option in today's day and age, being that if you're part of the societal stew, if you will, as it is, there's not an option. There's, a, there's an almost overwhelming demand to comply and to go along. And there's some people out there that just don't want that. They want to be free. Even if it's just free in their own mind, they want to be free. They don't want the bonds. They're willing to give up society. They're willing to give up some friendships, some culture, some extended family, just to be free to themselves. Now, I don't know if that's a fair payoff. I I don't know if that's something that you want. But when I review, when I think about this, it goes back to the idea of that's fine as long as you're willing to defend it. That's 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 a noble cause so long as you're willing to do something about it, to defend it. So I've talked about the idea that, you know, people, myself included from time to time, they just want to drift off, walk out into the uh, country and not worry about things anymore. Right, the, the genetics attitude of let it all burn. But we know, adults, we know you can't do that. I have children. At some point I might have grandchildren. It's my duty to see to it that they have an opportunity for a good life. That civilization continues on. Just like I took an oath to my wife and I took an oath to my country That oath carries over to my children, my posterity. So the more that I want is for my family to continue. The more that I want is for them to enjoy the things that I have had. And I got to say, for a city guy, I had kind of an interesting, epic childhood. All the crazy Fun things I got to do. Not crazy is probably not the best way to phrase it. And I and I swap stories with the country guys that I met when I moved down to McKinney way back when. And yeah, they had some really cool stories. But I got to do stuff they would never ever dream of getting to do. Likewise, they got to do really neat things that I could have never dreamed to do. And, and I'm embarrassed to say that north of 50 years old, growing up in Wisconsin, I've still never been deer hunting. That was a rite of passage. That was an expectation. Oh, how can you be a man in the state of Wisconsin and not have gone deer hunting? 
Just once. You didn't even have to shoot the rifle. You just went in the stand or the blind and hung out with your buddies. That was just like the basic rite of passage for my generation. Apparently now Teddy's generation plays a video game. I mean, if that works for them, okay, but not really sure what long-term prospect of protecting liberty and freedom that's going to be, but okay. I mean, at least nominally, if you can shoot an animal and field strip it and cook it, worst comes to worst, you can provide for your family. That's that's a useful skill. But playing Modern Warfare 93 or whatever's out now and being a great first-person shooter, I just don't know how that translates to real life. I don't know. But again, perhaps it's generational. Perhaps it's definition of what does somebody else want? Who am I to judge them? But I would suggest to you, take this time. Consider, what do you want? What do you want more of? What are you working towards? I have some of those answers for myself, for my family. The question is, do you? And if you don't, perhaps you ought to take this time now to think about it. And with that, this has been According to Callus, And I will see you on the other side.